0: And I want you to grab your Bibles this morning and turn with me uh, to the Old Testament songbook, the book of Psalms. Hopefully you're continuing to memorize God's Word. And each week there's a scripture verse of what we're going to talk about and cover. And so this week we're in Psalm 136 and verse 3 in a moment. We're going to read the first three verses. And, you know, we're considering not only the attributes of God, who He is and what He's like, but that God is not... Just a force, he's a person and he relates with a name. And so we're looking at a couple of the names of God and particularly today a title of God that you see that's reflected in scripture. And that's important to know because as we we communicate with him and talk with him and fellowship with him... Uh, he's someone that we relate to, just as you relate to the person, perhaps to your right or left, and they have a name, and you call on them, and you talk to them by name. It's the same way with God, In the essence of who He is... As he revealed himself with his attributes, oftentimes he did that with particular names in introducing himself to the saints. And in a moment, I want you to stand with me as we find Psalm 136. In fact, I'm going to ask you to stand even now to go ahead and stand so we can open up right here in God's Word these opening three verses. Because what we find are three significant names and titles of God just in the first three verses. And that informs you and informs me this morning about the name of the God, the essence of the God that we gather to worship, who He is, and what He's done. Psalm one thirty-five and one thirty-six are kind of they go together, and they're a celebration of the essence of God, His why He's worthy of worship and praise for who He is. But particularly in Psalm one thirty-six, it's a thanksgiving for how He has blessed and shown His mercy in the things that He has done. If you'll follow along with me in Psalm one thirty-six, I'm just going to read verses one through three. I don't want you to pay attention as we do this. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good every day. Praise God for his mercy endures forever. Now notice again, oh, give thanks to the God of gods, exclamation point. I mean, we should be shouting, but I'll try not to say my voice, right? For his mercy endures forever. Oh, give thanks to the Lord of lords for his mercy endures forever. In fact, every time we go down through this psalm, you're going to see that there's a merciful God that's acted for you and for me. In fact, anything and everything that God does and we experience is by his mercies. I want you to pray with me. Father, you've revealed yourself and made yourself known, the Lord the God, the Lord Adonai. And fathers, we come to your word this morning. I pray your spirit would speak to our hearts. I pray, God, we would know you as you are, not as we think you to be, but as your word reveals yourself. And Lord, as you make yourself known, God, when we truly see you for who you are, we'll understand who we are and what we should be. And God, may we change our lives, transform our lives by these truths that we discover so that, Lord, you are well pleased and get glory and honor because you alone are worthy of such praise. You alone are worthy of such honor. And now, Spirit of God, we pray, take the word, apply it to our hearts and minds as we walk through this song. And Lord, if there's anyone today that is yet to acknowledge that you are the Lord, it's my prayer today that you would birth faith in their hearts, Lord, and repentance, and that, Lord, you would woo and draw them to you. And Jesus, I'm asking this all in your precious and powerful name and for your sake. Amen and amen. You may be seated. I'm just asking you a very simple question, which will highlight what we're going to discuss today. Very important question that everyone needs to be able to answer this morning. Who is the Lord of my life? Who calls the shots in your life and in my life? I know we're in church and some of y'all in Sunday school would say the Sunday school answer right away, Jesus. That's really simple, right? But it's more than that. I, honest, I sincerely want you to honestly ask yourself that question and look in the mirror of God's word this morning and say, What does my life reflect throughout the week? If I was truly to examine my life, is there evidence, is it true beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus is the Lord of my life because the Lord is the one who calls the shots the Lord is the one not only who's in control but he's the one who we yield to and we surrender to you know when I was uh, uh, raising my kids and when they were just about that tall you know every now and then I'd put them in my lap when I drive my truck and and it's always fun to let them have the steering wheel for just a little bit right and after a while when they start steering that truck towards the ditch what did I do I grabbed that wheel, right? Because I was the one in control. Uh, For a moment they appeared, they thought they had control. But the moment they were headed towards danger as a good father, did I want them to go in the ditch? Oh, no. I grabbed that wheel. In the same way, listen, when we're talking today about Adonai, the God who's in control, the one who has control, the question is, am I sitting in his lap, the father's lap, and have I yielded control of the steering wheel of my life to him? Is he the one calling the shots? I mean, when we talk about the decisions I make on a daily basis, when it talks about my relationships, the commitments that I have, talk about the way I steward what he resources He may give me, the way I conduct myself in my conversations, the way I relate to those around me. Is it evident, listen, that God is controlling my life? Because I know this, I know in my flesh sometimes I want to take the wheel. Amen? There wasn't enough of y'all being honest this morning, and you need to be honest with God. We oftentimes want to take the wheel, take control, and steer it in the direction we think is right, rather than recognizing, no, He's the God who's in control. I need to yield and surrender to Him. This song that is written is a brief history, but a comprehensive history of God's dealings with His people. And how he was in control of their life. And it was a reason for celebration. It was a reason for praising him. Now, this is a, called sometimes the great Hallel Psalm. The Hallelujah Psalm. It's not those Hallel Psalms which are over in Psalm 113 to 118. But most Jewish theologians, when they would study and sing and celebrate, this was the most concise summary Of all that God had done for his people. And when they looked back and reflected on the work of God in their life. And the things that God had done. Being in control of the nation Israel. And being in control of everything that they were experiencing. It was cause, it was reason for them to praise him and to magnify his name. And it's out of that praise and out of that reminder of the history of what God has done that you reflect on the theological truths about who God is. And that is always the cause for authentic and genuine worship. Now, who is the God who has acted? Now, I told you to look in verse 1, 2, and 3. I want you to take a pen if you have. Circle those three names. It's easy to run right by them. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for He is good. And we jump on the good part because I love having a good God. Amen. But notice that Lord. It's all capital letters. That D is a capitalized D. You want to notice that. That's the formal name. That's Yahweh. It's Jehovah. It's the covenant name of God. We'll look at it actually next week, the significance of it. But you notice in verse 2, it's not give thanks to the Lord, give thanks to Jehovah, the covenant of God, but give thanks to the God of gods, the Elohim of Elohim. Are there many gods? No, there's one God, one true God, and He is the the God over all. We know Elohim can be used for sons of God or those that are in in, in the sons of men, even sometimes as judges. But the picture here is there is one God above all gods. He's our God. And that Elohim is the term that's often used uh, relating to the God who created all things. There's only one God who made All things, because there can only be one initial cause. There can only be one Almighty who made all things. And it's the God of gods, the Elohim of Elohims. And then, if you notice in verse 3, this is the word we want to focus on today and the title of God. Oh, give thanks to the Lord of lords now you say we already did that up in verse one notice the difference here in the lettering uh in the verse one they're all capital letters but if you'll notice here there's a lowercase o-r-d here with lord in verse three why because it's a different term it's not yahweh it's not jehovah it's adonai and so the praise goes to the the jehovah the god who covenants the praise Goes to the God who made all things, created all things, the Elohim. But also, the praise goes to the one whose title is Adonai. And he is the Lord of lords. He's above all things. In fact, this term that's used for Adonai, it comes from the Hebrew root Adon, which means to reign, to rule. It has the idea of the one who is in control of all things. Now, just as there's one God who made all things, that same God is the one who rules over all things. And that just makes sense, right? He is the one ruler. And this is a title that gives dignity or respect or honor to the one who has ultimate authority. He has ultimate authority because he has all power. We sang about that. We just sang about the Lord God Almighty who reigns, right? And we celebrate that. That's our God that we worship today. But it's, it's not that he just reigns and rules over this creation that he made. The question is today, is he reigning and ruling in my life? Now, you stop and ask yourself this question. This term, Adonai, Adon, is used of kings kings monarchs, it's used of leaders of tribes all throughout the Old Testament. And people surrender and they acknowledge those who have authority over them. But why would we not recognize the one who reigns over all? Why would we not recognize the one who has authority over all? Why would we not recognize the one who has ultimate power over all things? You know, If you know anything about the book of Psalms, you know over there in Psalm chapter 2, mankind shakes its fist at God. It says, we're not going to let you reign and rule over us. Take this chain, this fetter, and we don't want to be connected to you. We want to be free. And We think freedom, we can exercise it, and we can reign, and we can rule over our little kingdom, our little world, and everything will just go well. And it doesn't, does it? When we take the will, oftentimes at some point we put it in the ditch, right? And mankind shakes its fist at God and doesn't want to surrender and acknowledge that He is the Lord of Lords, the Adonai of Adonim. Now see, when you recognize that He is God who made you, when you recognize He's the God who wants to have a covenant relationship with you, He wants to love you and make you a part of His family, You recognize that He is not only the Savior who comes to save you, but He's also the Lord who comes to reign and rule over our lives. And for too long we've presented ourselves as to a master called Sin that wants to reign and rule in our life. And it's when we yield and we repent and we yield to the Lord that we surrender and we allow Him to call the shots. But if we're honest ourselves with ourselves today, let's be true, let's be authentic, okay? There are times we struggle with this, and we struggle with surrender and yielding control. We'll, we'll even grieve the Spirit as believers who have confessed Jesus as our Lord. And, and sometimes we want to grab that wheel back and be in control. Because we think it's out of control. And we don't want to yield and surrender and say, Okay, Lord, it doesn't make sense to me at the moment, but I have to choose to believe and rest that you are in control of circumstances that are beyond my control. The great missionary Hudson Taylor once said... That if Jesus is not Lord of all, he's really not Lord at all of our lives. You see, when you and I bend our knee... And we repent of our sins... And, and we confess or put our faith in Christ... There's a confession we make with our lips. Yes, Jesus is the Savior... But we confess this, He is Lord, Romans 10. We, we make that confession. We acknowledge He is the ultimate authority that we bend our knee to, that we bend our will to, and we yield to Him. And then we, we find ourselves then yielding to Him, surrendering to Him, our time, our finances, we, we, what we determine as, as, as a priority we, we know He calls the shots, and we yield to Him, and we allow Him to govern our life. And hopefully there's sanctification taking place in our life where we're not grieving the Spirit of God who, who wants to be in control. He dwells within us, but sometimes we, we don't surrender readily to that. And sometimes we wrestle, and, and, and those chains that, that, that we once were in bondage to, we put those things back on. Father Abraham, when he walked by faith, he was the first one to acknowledge God was Adonai, over in Genesis 15, verse 2. You know, when he called Father Abraham to walk by faith in Genesis 12, he said, listen, Abraham, I want you to go somewhere you've not gone. I I want to take you to a place, to a land that I'm going to give you, and I'm going to bless you with a seed that's going to be a blessing for this whole world. Ultimately, that's Christ. And Abraham, I want you to go. And Abraham went, and for many years he walked with God, he of course, took that blank map and didn't know where he was going, but he went by faith and trusted the Lord. And when he got to that land and was standing in that land, and he looked at God and said, Listen, this plan isn't working out. It doesn't appear to be doing anything. It doesn't appear to be going the way you told me. I don't even have an heir. I don't even have a descendant. He said, Elliot, this, this one from Damascus over here, my slave, he's my heir at the moment. And God spoke to him, and, and in that moment when Abraham was questioning God, how he would fulfill the promises that he had declared to him, Abraham, when he responded to God's call for him for complete surrender and trust, he, he called out and he responded, "Oh Adonai Yahweh, Oh Lord God. He didn't say, Lord, Lord. He said, Lord God. God reminded Abraham in that moment of his sufficiency, of his reliability, that he is the one who is in control and he would bring to pass all that he had promised. He was the God who was El Shaddai, the God who was all-sufficient. Listen, our God is not lacking in any way to do what he says he is able to do. And he is in control of everything going on in this world and in your life and my life, even when it looks like it's spiraling out of control. Not just in this world, but also in our lives. He is in complete control. And Abraham had to walk by faith and believe God was in control. And so do you and so do I. Now it's important when things are kind of going south that we stop for a moment and we stop and assess our walk of faith. That's what the psalmist is doing here. He's looking back at the history of God's dealing with his people and he's recounting God's control of everything that has happened in the life of his people. And it's a cause for praise and a cause for worship. And so when some things are spinning out of control in your life, it might be healthy and helpful to meditate on Scripture and just pause and stop for a moment and reflect back on your life and see how God has been in control of all things, not only in this created order, but even in your life and your creation and what He's done in your life, and then reflect on that and praise Him and realize and recognize He's still in control. He's still got this, y'all. We walk by faith believing this, sometimes going not knowing like Father Abraham. He is Elohim. He is Jehovah. He is Adonai. And for those reasons, there is reason for us to give thanks, to praise Him, and to magnify His name, and say, thank you, God, that you are in control. Just how is He in control? Well, He starts, as every good Jewish person would do, with the God who created all things. The God who made all things. Beloved, if you don't believe God can created all things, you're going to have a hard time believing he can recreate things. You're going to have a hard time, I'm going to have a hard time putting my faith that he can take the mess that I've made and bring order out of it. But he can if I'll surrender and yield to him. Now notice how he does this again. To him, verse 4, who alone does great wonders, the wonders even of creating, speaking, bringing everything that we see around us into existence. His mercy endures forever. The one who by wisdom made the heavens, his mercy endures forever. To him who laid out the earth above the waters, his mercy endures endures forever verse 7 to him who made great lights his mercy endures forever the sun to rule by day his mercy endures forever the moon and the stars to rule by night his mercy endures forever the God who's in control is the one who made all things he created all things the God who spoke it into existence the amazing wonder that God would just speak and there it would be out of nothing by the way How do you believe that? By faith. Hebrews chapter 11. We believe that God spoke a word. And it was so. And here we are. He's the one who created the heavens and the earth. He's the God who made the sun, the moon, and the stars. And... This is the fundamental understanding. It's Genesis chapter 1. It's the recognition of every Jew. Everyone who comes to God must believe that, that he is and he rewards those who seek him. But it's the fool who says in his heart there is no God. It's the fool who doesn't acknowledge God made all things. It's the fool who doesn't want to acknowledge that because he wants to be the ruler of his own little creation. All that he and she is about. But for a Jew, we stop and we recognize and we call on the Lord and we recognize that God in His mercy made something. Now you stop and think about that for a moment. God didn't have to make anything. He didn't have to make a creation. And even when He did make it, and He made it, why? Because He put a man in that to have a relationship with Him. One made in His image. And to have shalom with Him. And to fellowship with Him. And even when that was broken by Adam and Eve's sin. When Adam fell in the garden. God in His mercy... Began the process whereby he would reconcile man to himself. Redeem mankind. And how did he do that? By his mercy. Even there, when he graciously provided a provision to cover the nakedness of Adam and Eve through the sacrifice of a creature, he, he put the, the, the cherubim with the flaming swords at the entrance to the land that he had made. And when he kicked the man and the woman out because he didn't want them to eat from the tree of life in their defiled state and then be forever defiled before the Redeemer, the promised seed of woman, could come and crush the serpent's head and provide redemption. And God did all of that by... His mercy. Everything God does is by His mercy. Anything that we experience is because of His mercy. Praise God He doesn't give us what we deserve. Amen. Man, He gives us so much better. And by his mercy, he made a creation and made a man in his image and made him for a relationship. But however, however because of man's ignorance and because of man's rebellious choice, uh, man descended into idolatry and immorality and ultimately judgment of God. And, and that's what happens anytime we don't worship the creator who controls all things, but we worship the created stuff in this world. And we see that happening. Paul would speak about that over in Romans chapter 1. But anytime you and I look up at the stars, look out at the sky, look at this created order, we should realize there's a God who made it all and he's in control of everything that's going on in it. And he's not going to let it spin out of control. Yes, for a moment, he'll let one, this imp that wants to be in control, have control for three and a half years. And he'll make a mess, okay? But God is going to make a new heaven and a new earth one day. And we will dwell there forever with him. But he's the God who created all things. Now, notice what happens next. He doesn't speak about the God who created all things. He talks about the God who redeemed. The Lord who redeemed. Notice in verses 10 through 12. To him who struck Egypt in their firstborn and brought out Israel, verse 11, from among them with a strong hand and an outstretched arm. He did all this. Why? Well, because his mercy endures forever. God is merciful to us. Praise the Lord for that today. And Adonai, the God who's in control, had a plan when he created all things. Even before he made all things, y'all, he knew what he would do. And he's in control of everything that's happening. The sovereign God, which you've already learned about, is in control. It's amazing how he gives free will to man to accomplish all of that. That's another story and a conundrum for some of us, but we'll figure it out when we get to heaven, okay? But we need to stand on the truth and clearly the teachings of Scripture and don't go beyond that. But what we know is this. That Lord who created all things. He controls all things. And he is a merciful redeemer. Now, what's amazing here is the quick recounting of the redemption of God's people. He called his people out of Egypt. He, he, he struck Egypt in their firstborn. This is a reminder of, of the plagues that God sent on Egypt, just summarized with that final plague when the Passover angel uh, passed over, the angel, the death angel passed over. And anywhere that there wasn't blood, you remember, the firstborn would die. And, and and that wasn't just a threat to the to Pharaoh and them, as also God's people had to be under the blood. And God delivered his people from the bondage they were in. You remember they were in bondage and they cried out, Set us free from this bondage. And God raised up a deliverer, Moses, to come down and to set his people free. And he brought them out from among the nations. He brought them out from among the Egyptians. He brought them out and freed them from that bondage. And with a strong hand and an outstretched arm, God demonstrated that he is an almighty God with the power to save. And you stop and say, well, that's great. That's a great history of God's people. Well, you see, you and I need to have a history, too, of deliverance from bondage. There needs to be a time when you and I can look back on our life and we recognize there's a Lord over our life who delivered us from the bondage that we were in. It wasn't a Pharaoh, but it was to a worse taskmaster. It was to sin. In fact, it's, you see those pictures all throughout Scripture that, that we, have, we were in bondage. We used to present ourselves, Romans chapter 6, as slaves to sin. We used to do that in our carnal flesh. But Jesus came to loose those chains to set us free. And he delivered from that through his blood. The blood that was shed for you and for me. It was a lamb that was put there on the, on the doorposts of the homes of those in Egypt. And anywhere that the death angel passed over and saw the blood of that lamb, anyone under the blood was saved. It's the same for you and for me. We sang about that just a moment ago. A lamb that we're going to worship in heaven, that we're going to magnify his name. He shed his blood. He was the spotless lamb of God that was offered once for all time to pay the penalty for our sins, what you and I deserve, so that we could be free from our sins and no longer have to fear the penalty that our sin deserved, which is the wages of death. We We don't have to fear that anymore by the mercies of God. Praise the Lord. Now, here's the amazing thing. We're set free from that bondage. Sin, listen, not just the penalty of sin that we deserve, death, but the power of sin. We're set free that those chains don't have to bind us any longer. You and I don't have to live under the control, the influence of our flesh and of sin longer. We can walk by the power of the Spirit now. So much so that, listen, as we run this race of faith, Hebrews tells us, Paul tells us in Hebrews, listen, we can run the race of faith with our eyes fixed on Jesus. Listen, and the chains so so easily ensnare us, we can put those aside. They don't have to trip us up any longer. You don't have to keep saying, well, I I can't help it. This This is just my sin. No, it isn't. You and I have been set free. We've been delivered from that. And by the power of God's Spirit and the power of God's Word and the power of God's grace in your life and my life, we can live free from that. God's arm is a strong arm. It is outstretched. His hand is a strong hand. It can deliver us just as it did God's people and redeem them. And that hand has not changed. That arm is not so short, Isaiah would say, that it cannot save. Sometimes we like to wallow in it and wrestle with it and say, God, I got this. Instead of surrendering and yielding to him. But God is able to redeem. Exodus marked the birthday of God's people when God were, they were delivered from bondage. It's a picture of redemption. And you and I should have an exodus in our own life. Where we once were in bondage to sin. But praise God we've been delivered from that. As Jesus, listen, outstretched his mighty arms for you and for me. So that we could be saved. He's a, he's a merciful redeemer. And then he doesn't just redeem us, but then he shepherds us. Notice what it says in verses 13 through 16. He, he's the one who divided the Red Sea in two, made Israel pass through the midst of it on dry ground, of course. Verse 15, he overthrew Pharaoh and his army in the Red Sea and led his people through the wilderness. Just a summary, listen, of the book of Exodus and what God did when he delivered his people out of bondage and brought them to the Red Sea. And there opened up a pathway where there was seemingly no way, because he's in control, and opened that up and had his people go forward on dry ground. And as they went forward, when their enemy came behind them and was present there in the Red Sea, God said, I'll take care of that enemy and brought the waters back on them and then led his people, shepherding them through the wilderness. You see, this is a beautiful picture for me and for you. And for any believer, when we've been redeemed and bought by the precious blood of the Lamb, and we are no longer, listen, fearing the penalty for our sin, and we come and surrender to Him, God then, what do you know what He does? He destroys our enemy. Sin does not have to have its way in your my, life and my life anymore. It does not have to reign and rule any longer. In fact, as it would tell us, Paul would say in the book of Romans, now listen, we can present ourselves as slaves of righteousness, which leads to holiness. There can be a transition in our life. You can make that choice every day. Today, I'm choosing to surrender. I'm going to be a slave. Well, who would I be a slave to? Adonai, to the one who's the Lord, the one who's the master, the one who calls the shots, the one who's sovereign and reigns and rules, the one who wants to reign not just on his throne in heaven, but on the throne of your heart and my heart. For that to happen, I have to get out of the way. I have to die to self that I might find life in Christ. But the the song is singing and celebrating. There's a God who defeated our enemies. And there's a God who shepherds us as we walk through the wilderness. And beloved, as we're walking to that promised land, praise God, there's one who shepherds us. And one who has secured for us the victory. Paul would say it this way over in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Praise be to God who gives us victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, I love one of my favorite hymns is Victory in Jesus. I'll spare singing it right now for you in your ears. But there's wonderful truths in there that we should sing and celebrate of the victory that is available to us through the precious blood of the Lamb. Each and every day there is one who will shepherd us through the wilderness and walk with us and provide for us. His name is Jesus. And he will do that for you and for me each and every day. But your life and my life should be singing a testimony each and every day. Not only that I have been delivered and I have been saved, but there's a God who walks with me even now. And who shepherds me through life. When God brought his people and shepherded them through the wilderness, he led them, he provided for them, he guided them. In fact, as he led them along the way, what's fascinating is he's a God who conquered Even as they went to the promised land, before they even got to the promised land. It says there that he is the one, verse 17, who struck down great kings. He slew famous kings, verse 18. One was named Sion, king of the Amorites, verse 19. One was named Og, king of Bashan. And he gave the land as a heritage to his people. You see, our God is a mighty conqueror. There's no excuse for anyone in this room who is a born-again believer in Jesus Christ to live a defeated life. Our Savior came not only to save us eternally, He came to give us victory today. We no longer have to live defeated lives. There's no excuse for that. In fact, what's fascinating is the world around us should have the same testimony that God's people had and that they heard from the world around them. Do you remember what happened when they got to Jerusalem and they sent the spy, I'm sorry, to Jericho and they sent the spies into Jericho and they went in and, the, and Rahab brought them in and she said, listen, I'll hide you. By the way, we've heard about your God. We heard what he did to Sion. We heard what he did to Og. He's a mighty God. And there's fear in the hearts of the people. Is that the testimony of the people around us? Do they see, listen, that we know the one who is Adonai, Lord of Lords, the one who reigns and who rules in our life. Does my life give testimony, give evidence that, you know what? There is one who is the mighty God who gives us victory, and we live with that victory day by day. If there's anything that's an indictment of modern Christianity today, particularly in America, America is that we're living defeated lives, and the world around us wonders, is our God really in control? Is the one really that can conquer? And you and I should be bearing witness of that, that our God is the God who made all things, the creator. He is the redeemer. He is a good shepherd. And he is one who conquers and gives us victory. By the way, do you believe what it says? Greater is he who's in you.